Hey, it's Brandon here. And before we dive into today's episode, I have a few things I want to talk with you about. So first off, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you. And I hope you can feel the sincerity in my voice here because I'm talking to you specifically. Seriously, thank you. Like if, if you're listening to my voice right now, I know who you are and you wouldn't be listening to this show if you weren't a seeker, someone that is just relentless about satisfying their curiosity and just committed to making the biggest contribution that you're capable of making. And it is, it is people like you that are honestly changing the fucking world. <laughs> and I honestly, God love you for that. So thank you so much for just being an epic freaking human. So because you're such an amazing human to me, it's a no brainer that I literally do everything in my power to serve you at the highest level possible. Cause I know that by serving you, it is a force multiplier in the world just because I know what kind of person you are. And if I'm being completely honest, I've been hiding for a while. I, I really wasn't ready for the world to see me because I didn't know who I was. And I've honestly not been ready to, to serve you or to show up at the next level. But with the, the rebrand to Beyond Curious and really going deep to figure out who I am, which by the way, if you haven't listened to episode 148 for that journey, go check that out. But anyways, I, I am ready to serve you at a whole new level in 2024 and beyond. So I have some big things that I'm dreaming of. But the thing is, is that it's not about me. It's not about me, what I want to build. It's about you because I honestly just don't want to build the wrong thing. So the thing that I could really use your help with is if you could help me build the right thing. So what I did is I put together a survey to collect your thoughts and it's just going to take five to seven minutes and it would mean the world to me. If you figured it out, I'm going to read every single response and I'm just, I'd be so grateful for your time. So in exchange for the survey, I have some really juicy things I want to give you. So anyways, I'll start off by saying if, you, if you're if you in and you want to help and support, you don't even need to hear about what I want to give you, you can head to bfo.ng slash survey. That's bfo.ng slash survey. It'll be in the show description, but you can literally pop that into Chrome or wherever you browse. And in exchange for your five to seven minutes of feedback, I'd like to give you not one, not two, but three huge bonuses that literally it took me hours to put together. And I want to give it to you as an ethical bribe because I didn't want to give you something half-assed. So when you complete the survey immediately afterwards on the thank you page, you're going to get access to this amazing bonus content. And again, that's at bfo.ng slash survey. So what the heck did I put together for you? So the first bonus is a never released episode that honestly I think is one of my favorite episodes that I've ever produced and it took a shit ton of time. <laughs> so if you've been listening to the show for a while in the first 140-ish episodes before I transitioned to Beyond Curious, I asked the question, what does happiness mean to you today to, I don't even know, over 100 guests on the show. And so what I did in this never aired episode is I took hours, it took hours of digging and I combined 25 of my favorite responses. And you'll hear responses from a seventh degree black belt, Zen master, a decorated air fighter pilot, even the 94 year old legend that invented the cell phone about what happiness means to you today. And this was just an amazingly beautiful episode that I think is gonna help you to live a more fulfilling and happy life. So that is bonus number one. And the only way you can get that is, is when you fill out the survey again, at bfo.ng slash survey. The second bonus is behind the scenes access to a one page resource that literally dozens of people have asked me for. So I've never shared this before, but this resource for the right person can absolutely save you over 10 hours of boring work every single week so that you can focus more on what you were put on this earth to do. And it is something that whenever somebody sees me working on my computer or gets access to some of the flows that I've created, they're always blown away by it. So I'm really excited to share this with you in a way that I've never done before. And last but not least, 
I put together a whole new mini course that I will literally be selling in 2024 and I'm gonna give it away for you for free. You'll get a coupon code to literally do that. But this mini course reveals the exact and proven framework that you can use to build deep relationships with the people that would transform your life. And this is the exact system that has helped me to build relationships with the guests that you hear on the show all the time. Some of the biggest name guests that have been on the show, I have literally used this framework to build a relationship with them I'm taking you behind the scenes about how you can do this for your life to build all those relationships that are just going to make life meaningful and transformative every single way. So again, you're going to get all three of those bonuses immediately after you finish the survey. All you have to do is head to bfo.ng slash survey to fill it out. Again, bfo.ng slash survey. And hey, if you decide to not fill out the survey, that's totally cool too. Maybe you're thinking, I don't really do surveys, sorry. Or maybe you're like, Brandon, those bonuses suck. <laughs> Whatever your float floats your boat works for me. But like I said, it would honestly mean the world to me if you just headed to bfo.ng slash survey right now to help me out. And whether you choose to do that or not, again, I so appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for being here and I will shut up and let you enjoy today's episode. Greetings, my friends, Brandon Fong here, and I just wanted to tell you, happy freaking new year. <laughs> if you're listening to this in the episode order, this is coming out on January 2nd, 2024, the first episode of the new year. And if you're listening to this at some point in the future, happy whatever time of the year it is. And question for you is what if you treated today like it was a new year? Obviously, fresh starts are so invigorating, which is why I always reset every single week, which is a topic for another day. So anyways, I wanted to kick off with something so special that happened 100% on accident. So I'm not doing the standard intro for the show because this is something completely different. So what's about to happen is you're gonna listen in on a conversation that wasn't intentionally designed to be an episode on the podcast, but it was so good that I decided to not only publish it as an episode, but I think it's actually going to give birth to a new format on the show that mixes in with the standard format. So the two people you're about to hear are Michael Haig and Ryan Castellas. Both are dear friends of mine, but here Here's a tiny bit of background on both of them. Michael Haig has been one of Hollywood's top story experts since 1985. He's consulted for Will Smith to help create I Am Legend and has also worked on projects starring Julia Roberts, Morgan Freeman, Alec Baldwin, Chris Pine, Reese Witherspoon, Tom Hardy, Tom Cruise, and many, many others. Ryan Castellez is a liquid storyteller and the founder of Discourse Coffee, which Growler Magazine called the most gonzo, balls-to-the-wall experimental coffee house. And Ryan has been featured in Milwaukee foodie, food and wine, barista magazine, and on and on and on. So why are these two people having a conversation and why should you care? I honestly think this is one of the coolest conversations I have ever been a part of. And I am grateful to say I've been a part of many cool conversations. So I'll let the conversation explain itself in the beginning because you're about to hear it because I give some context when I introduced Ryan and, and uh, Michael. But as a teaser, Michael and Ryan are two of the best storytellers that I know but they approach story from two completely different worlds. Michael obviously from Hollywood and Ryan from Liquid, which you'll find out what that means in just a little bit. And the question occurred to me, what happens when you connect a Hollywood storytelling legend to a world-class Liquid storyteller and then just sit back and listen? The answer is absolute magic and you're about to see why. I will just say my absolute favorite part of this conversation came towards the very end when I had this idea in real time to ask Michael to tell a story and then to have Ryan translate Michael's story into liquid format. 
Oh my gosh, it was literally like, what the fuck did I just witness? So Ryan's brain is amazing, Michael's brain is amazing, and you get to see them both work together. So without any further ado, enjoy this accidental interview that I did with Ryan and Michael. So here's, here's, I know I'm in the presence of two storytelling masters, but I figured I would do my best to synthesize the story about how I met both of you guys. And then I'll kind of say how your stories merge and kind of where I see some things. So I actually met Michael before I met you, Ryan, even though I think I knew you at the time, but I came yeah. across Michael's work because uh, he's referenced a lot in Russell Brunson's book called Expert Secrets as this storytelling legend. That's when I found out about Michael's work. And then I, I went and I got his audio book called The Hero's Two Journeys. And this is where he talks about the outer journey and the inner journey of a hero um, and the transformations that happen at all the different points. So I was like, I knew of Michael and his work. And then I got connected by somebody named Sarah Archer. I was on her podcast and she was on my podcast and she had recommended a few guests. Michael's name came up and I'm like, you mean the Michael Hag, like the, the one? And she's like, yeah, that Michael Hag. And I was like, heck yeah. So read his book, Storytelling Made Easy. He came on the podcast and... I did this thing in real time. It was like a, it's a magical moment in my relationship with Michael. But like I told him a, one of my origin stories that I've been working on to try to implement some of his stuff. Michael gave right. me feedback and he's like, if you take this and implement it, I'll give you feedback on, on another session. So that's just when Michael and I started hanging out. And I'm just really grateful to just get to know him over the years and as a friend and as a mentor. And he's just an amazing, amazing human being. So that's, that's my context on Michael, which I think you probably know Ryan. And then I'll flip and share how I met Ryan, Michael. So you have the, the context as well. So I, I always say I first saw Ryan on TV. <laughs> so I don't know who he was. He was featured on this uh, program called Milwaukee foodie. And uh, he started to get known for doing all this crazy balls to the wall stuff with coffee that nobody had ever been he hearing of before. Before. And so we, I saw him on TV and he's in this small little place in Northern Wisconsin called Door County, really popular uh, place to go in the summer and vacation. So it's very, very seasonal, but Ryan's got this teeny little place in like a decrepit shopping mall that you have to like crawl over glass to get and find, but it's totally <laughs> worth it because you found Ryan's shop. It's called Discourse. He called it a liquid workshop and he's just known for crazy all these crazy drinks like the one that i had when i was with him the other day he made for me it's called motorhead it's got pork fat and apple and he uses coffee as like a canvas and as a medium of expression to convey emotions and tell stories and and can like take what he's doing in his head and transition that into an experience both for the people in the shop but also from the the liquid that they're actually drinking and so i basically showed up in summer like one or two years ago and i was like i want to meet to not only talk to Ryan because I had met him at the shop and I was like, I want this guy to become my friend. <laughs> so I met Ryan and I'm basically like, you're going to be my friend. But he started listening to the podcast and, um, you know, he, he started listening to the podcast a lot. And then we started hanging out because we're both from the Milwaukee area. And then, like you said, Michael, your stories merge when Michael and I were hanging out the other day. I showed Ryan him the clip from the Curiosity Quest where you came, Ryan. And then uh, Michael's like, who is that guy that was like doing the things with the drinks? I'm like, oh, this is a liquid storyteller. And Michael's got this. <laughs> Michael's got this philosophy. And it's really cool. That's kind of how I started my relationship with Michael. And I'm, now I'm going to finally shut up. But Michael's got this philosophy about just doing things that sound fun. Like when something sounds fun, he just wants to do it and like doesn't really matter what it is. But I was telling him, I'm like liquid storytelling. And he's like, I want to find out about that. So there's the story and the context and how you guys both merge. But I, I thought maybe a, a, a good place to start outside of that would be for you guys to maybe share some of your 
foundational concepts of storytelling, and then we can kind of start blending the different worlds together. So I don't know, Michael, obviously, if there's anything you want to add to what I said, but you have your six-step story framework. That might be a good place to start by sharing Ryan some basics, and then I'll I'll have Ryan tell, sell some stuff about how he does it in, in liquid form. <laughs> okay, sure. Well, the first thing, I'd make one correction to what you said. Okay. And that is, you said, I have this philosophy where I just do stuff that's fun, and then you said it doesn't matter what it is. He's just up. Oh, sure. Well, it matters totally what it is. If it's scary, <laughs> I won't do it. If it involves moving fast, I won't do that. I have, I, I, I'm, I have no physical courage at all. The, the, what I said is in making business decisions, if I look back on the things that made a big difference to my career, almost every one of them i did not because i thought it would help my business <laughs> only because that sounds fun like the video that uh, brandon was talking about the heroes through journeys i did it it was a, a film of a lecture that i did with a guy named chris vogler i don't know if you've heard of him but in, yeah. the, in the screenwriting world you know big name it's a bigger name than i am i hate to admit but we would we met we'd go to all the same screenwriting conferences and got acquainted and i said to him we should do something together i didn't say to him we could make a lot of money doing something together in fact i think you know this brandon we set so we set up this two-day event and i called it the heroes two journeys because he talks about joseph campbell's hero's journey i take i what Chris describes me as is somebody who goes deeper into the psychology of character when it comes to coaching on story. So I call it, and I was just, had just started developing this idea of the inner journey. So I called it that. And we scheduled this. We did one in San Diego, one in LA. And I think it was maybe three days before I thought to myself, you know, we should probably film this. And and, and so I found this woman who claimed she was a cinematographer. She lied. And, and the production values are terrible. But all I did was something fun. And it was because of that video that not just Brandon, but I first met uh, Will Smith. He, he heard somebody wow. call and ask if I would be willing to coach him on I Am Legend or, you know, consult with him on the script. And then that eventually went, led from that to to uh, um, what, what's the, uh, uh, what came Russell. on to the, um, uh, come on, there, he's the alien, uh, Hancock. Okay, so <laughs> I, and then after that, he put me on retainer and so on. That was because of that video. I met Russell because of that video. Uh, wow. And, and it, it was I just like, want to say that Michael Haig just used my name in the same sentence as being with Will Smith. I just wanted to say that before you continue. Can, go ahead, go ahead, Michael. <laughs> even Brandon yeah. Fong and Will Smith. Who's more important? That's the question. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, because because as you can probably imagine, when when I hear the name, you know, Brandon Fong, the first person I think of is Will Smith. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many similarities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Basically, it starts and ends with they both saw my video, and that's <laughs> about it. You know, I know. But to be honest, I have much more fun talking to Brandon. Although Will, <laughs> I work with too. That went on for ten years. Okay. Anyway, uh, that's the only correction is so it's that context of business doing what's fun rather than what seems strategic. Or something like yeah. that. Because whenever I did anything strategic, like in Hollywood, because my background, I guess you probably know from Brandon, my background's all in Hollywood. 
Every yeah. know about story came from going to Hollywood, wanting to be in the film business, knowing nothing and uh, taking classes. And I learned to be a reader. And I started reading script after script after script and started noticing they were all terrible and they were all terrible. <laughs> same reasons so then i started uh what happened i was uh developing projects for different producers but i started teaching and my point of view of teaching is this is what we look for in a story that makes it good if you want to be a screenwriter and right. ahead, out of that i then got approached and was working with novelists and then after that professional speakers and then I got time contacted first, not by Russell, but a guy named Matt Basak, who's sort of a, a an older guard who sort of taught a lot that, of other things. Okay, so that's enough about me and the and the background. My core philosophy of story is number one is that if you understand how Hollywood successfully creates stories, then you know how stories work because all the principles I learned or eventually developed based on what makes a good movie good or a successful movie successful and another script get rejected. All those principles, as I started working in those other arenas, apply. Absolutely. There's there's slight differences in that when a screenwriter gets paid for their story. In business, right. like, like, well, maybe this has happened to you, but rarely would somebody come and say, I'll pay you X dollars for your story. You're getting them to buy something else, but they yes. are, uh, you know, like Brandon came to see you because of the story and then he bought the drink he got that day or whatever yes. it was and so on. So there's that and business stories usually shorter. Other than that, the principles apply. They always have essentially the same structure as a movie structure. Uh, uh, it, it, there's there's going to be six beats to the story in almost every case. We'll see if that holds true because... I've never been in your arena, so we'll see how that holds up. So there's that. I'm excited. And, and uh, sort of the core essential things in a story are there has to be a hero story. The hero has to have a goal that we can picture what success would look like. They have to overcome uh, obstacles. There has to be conflict in the story. And there has to be transformation. In, in other words, something the 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 hero of the story has to change or their circumstances have to change. Everything else is sort of built on that and we can get into it later, but those are sort of the core things for me. And we'll see right. how they apply to what you do. So I'm curious to hear that. Well, so uh, I'll let you jump in wherever you want to jump in, Ryan. I'm just going to just kind of add something on top of that just for some context. Cause like Ryan, I guess, Ryan, you can maybe talk a little bit about your liquid storytelling and what that means, but I thought maybe a fun way for you to kind of describe and show, not tell Michael what that is, is if you describe your drink, the Don, and what the Don is, and then and then you can maybe unpack what liquid storytelling is, because I think that would provide some context. Oh, yeah, I'd <laughs> love to hear one. I was hoping yeah, I'd for sure, to dude. I'm, I'm super happy to talk about that. Before I dive into that drink, though, I just want to say I've never really, like, so, you know, in the practice that we do, like, we've kind of almost created this language right, around flavor and aroma and texture and temperature and serviceware, right? And, and this language that we've created around drink making is the language with which we use to tell our stories. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I'm very, I'm very well aware of like this, like the, the journey uh, of, that you're describing, but I've never, 
I've never really placed it into the framework of how we make drinks. And and as you were talking about those kind of big four things, like you have your hero, you have the palm, you have the resolution, right? I, I was thinking about how does that actually translate to the work that we do? And it's it's actually kind of fascinating because I've never thought of it this way, but it, it really does. Like you have you have your hero flavor, you have the contrasting flavors or textures or elements or aromas that are kind of battling with that hero flavor. And then at the end, you have this journey that creates a song that is better than its parts. And and to me, that is that resolution, right? How do you how do you tie that contrast and that conflict into something that creates beauty and resolution and and joyousness at the end or whatever that transformation exactly uh is so like that that transformation is is so interesting for me to think about because that is kind of what we're doing when we're diving in drinks you know we we, like we were doing a latte today with uh rosemary and fennel and lemon and and that rosemary is the hero of the story but it's boring if it's just an unopposed hero Right, so bringing in this fennel, bringing in the lemon, right? These are they're like the contrast. They're like the elements that the, that hero is fighting against, and that transformation at the end of the day is how do all of these components create one synchronistic composition that we can serve to somebody where it doesn't feel like these ingredients are fighting. It feels like they're working together, um, and and I never really thought of it in that framework before, but it's something I'm absolutely going to use now because I think it's it's uh, really beautiful and really sensible. Um, the Don was a drink that we made probably five years ago, four or five years ago. And it was part of a menu that we did called Classic Films, actually. And so we were riffing off of Hollywood. We did uh, The Godfather. We did Monty Python. We did Blade Runner. Um, and essentially what we were doing was saying, okay, how do we translate either the ethos of this movie or the ethos of the main character um, into a liquid form? And so for The Godfather, we asked ourselves, the question, okay, if Don Vito Corleone was an actual guy out in the world and he was drinking some coffee in the morning, uh, what what would he be drinking? What what uh-huh. would that look like? How would he experience espresso? And so we kind of dove back into the backstory and we said, okay, well, he owns an olive oil plantation in Sicily. So he's probably going to want to use his own product. So we know that there needs to be some olive oil. Um, the Don and the, the idea of smoking cigars and that kind of you know, guttural, smoky presence is is so inherent. So we knew there needed to be some sort of smoke. Um, and also the Don is not going to drink some foo-foo, you know, 8-ounce, 12-ounce latte. He's probably going to go for short, intense, impactful. So we know that this isn't going to be a long drink. And so from that basis of, of who we believe the Don to be and who we believe what Vito Corleone would drink, um, mm-hmm. we started to formulate, okay, how do we wrap these um, compositions into one holistic transformation of deliciousness. And so we took a shot of espresso. We knew like, okay, the Don's not going to be messing with milk. We're going to take one beautiful shot of espresso. And we knew we needed to incorporate olive oil. So how do you get olive oil to join into a shot of espresso? <laughs> protein that Good way. So, so egg white or really any sort of protein will allow us to create a, a solution in which the oil and the water-soluble components are bound into one flavor, transformed into something that is silky and synergistic. And so we added some Sicilian olive oil, we added egg white, and then we smoked the shaker with tobacco. Um, And so by smoking the shaker, we were able to add that kind of smoky cigar element to the experience. 
So then after shaking and straining, you get this beautiful little head, you know, from the olive oil emulsifying with the egg white. And for the ice, we, we kind of finished it up two ways. We said, okay, how do we really pinpoint and finalize this story? And we could have put it in a normal cup or a normal glass, but that wouldn't have told this story. And so we had a glass um, that actually was unstable on the bottom. So it would sit, but if you would move it, it would rock and it would, it would rock to each side. And so that was to symbolize the fragility of this thing that he had built, you know, one knock and you can knock this thing over and knock it to the side. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally for the ice, instead of doing a normal ice, we actually froze bullets and we took a frozen bullet and we put it right into the center of the glass. Actually, you got this thing. And it was, yeah, like a a frozen bullet. So when you got this thing, you know, you, you received this glass that was kind of leaning over on its side and there was a bullet like that. Yep. Sticking yeah, I, straight I have up a, out I have of a the glass. Of you. <laughs> now, can I just pointing at you? Uh, now, um, let me just ask one quick thing: was the was the coffee designed to be an iced coffee, or was that a variation of the drink that you could get at so, home or ice? Only iced. This one only came iced, um, and it was uh, we needed that cold to be able to emulsify it with the egg white. Mm-hmm. So if it was hot, it wouldn't have emulsified. It would have cooked the egg. And so when we when we took that side of espresso, we chilled it down on ice. We added our egg white. We added our olive oil. The smoke actually condenses on the ice in the shaker. So as you put the smoke into the shaker, that ice is condensing that smoke and it's bringing it back into liquid form. So you're creating a little bit of liquid smoke that actually sinks into that espresso base. So you get this really palpable, really permeable uh, flavor of smoke in every sip instead of just that aromatic. And so we, we kind of tried to look at this and say, hey, how do we translate this and transform all of these different ingredients? You know, you might say the olive oil was the hero, but it needed to meet this espresso and it needed to meet the egg white and it needed to meet the smoke. And all of those things together transformed into this drink that then we think represented, you know, what we could see Don Corleone sitting and, and drinking and, and having a real good time sitting with. Yeah. So that's uh, that's like one of the things that we've done where it's like, yeah, hey, how do we how do we take this narrative and put it into a glass that if somebody is coming to this and experiencing this, that they can say, yeah, I, I see that. I've seen that movie and I can see him taking this thing. Yeah, that's just amazing. I, I Because, well, first of all, I know the movie. I've seen the movie more than one. Uh, it's just I, I'm because I'm kind of thinking because there were so many elements of that that were so fascinating. And I'm trying to see the analogies that you mentioned, also some others that come to mind. Uh, I have some if you get stuck, Michael, because I had a few came up. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I, I can go first and then you can add yours. Uh, the first the first is, uh, and, and uh, Brandon held up the picture of it so I could see what it looked like. Um, but the first that comes to mind that you didn't mention is uh, the Godfather is all about power. Yes, I mean, the whole movie is in a certain way about power and what is what does it cost? What does it cost to get there? And what does it cost when you have it? And everything is going to be destroyed. But it's about power, and and also that particular that particular character is so strong and sets himself apart except from his family and it seems like that drink and i don't know if this is true because i don't know what the other drinks are but i would sense that every coffee drink you make is not about power 
or necessarily completely setting herself apart. But but that drink seems to make a statement like he's he's the Don and, yes. and all the other characters that might be pretenders and seem like they're going to go at the end of the movie. Not, well, at the end of the movie, he's gone, but he's been replaced. So that and also used a couple words. Um, one, you said um, smoke and one was ice. Those are both expressions for having someone killed. You know, yes. a character gets iced or a character gets smoked and the bullet, you know, especially and and uh, and just well, I the way I think of it, it's not it, it's true. Certainly in that movie, I consider most great movies are about the transformation of the character, not just their circumstances, but the character changes themselves. And that drink you've taken weird ingredients i mean there's i, I oh, mean yeah. if you just if you start to say here's a new coffee drink and it's got olive oil in it want to try i can't <laughs> oh, imagine that, that, that's not gonna you put that on a sandwich board outside the shop that's not gonna go like hot cakes um olive oil egg white and tobacco <laughs> and then, i'm sorry what'd you say olive oil egg white and tobacco yeah it's just like are you serious you know what, what kind of place is this um and then um so that transformation and the thing about the 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 glass now we're getting to the movie but the glass rocking because you said yeah it's very tenuous the thing the thing that interests me is his climb to the top, he was so powerful, it didn't really seem like he was walking on some sort of razor, razor's edge. Right. And it seems like in that movie, what's really tenuous is the stuff he doesn't know. He does yes. see that the thing he wanted most, to hold his family together and let Michael, he, he says, there's that line, I wanted you to be you know, I didn't want this for you. I, you could have been a senator or something like that. And and it seems like in the movie, you don't think, oh gosh, he's in a, he's kind of risky. But but what's really, you know, is the tenuous thing is what's going to happen to Michael. Right. And, then, and so, and then a couple other things that gave me pause. One is, and I'll ask you about one. If, if you ask me who is the hero of the movie, it's Michael. It's not the Don. Now, picking, calling the movie the Don and everything you did about it is great. And it seems like you sort of honored or, or, or injected that tenuous thing. It's like Michael is going to inherit this. And it's Michael that's going to have the cup that's rocking. More, yes. I mean, because... The, the image, if you talk about tenuous physical danger, of course, they're both in that and the Don's almost killed. But the movie is ultimately a tragedy, especially if you're going to part two. And so 100%. And it's it's what's gained and, and what's uh, lost. Now, the one thing that was curious to me is, uh, and I see what it was, but I would think that I don't know. Do all of your are all of your drinks coffee drinks? No, um, but this course we do a lot with coffee. Um, we do tea, specialty drinks as well, and then 
I've done cocktails now for the last several years as well. So we do have like cocktails that we produce to spirits, now alcoholic spirits, but the majority of the drinks I've created in the past are coffee based or espresso based. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and the thing, the, the thing that makes me curious is because to me, if you're starting with coffee, it seems like that would be the hero. And then, and the elements that you're adding to the coffee are like the plot, that like or or the plot in the broadest sense, the the st- structure, because it's like you're adding the characters. And how are these characters going to affect the hero's desire, the hero's transformation, and everything? So it was interesting to me that you chose as a hero the dominant. Um, uh, flavor, I guess. I guess you would say, although the bullet's a character. Well, even then, you you froze it, so it's got that kind of that kind of quality. But uh, and I have no, I have no conclusion to make about that. It's just interesting because of all the things you were doing. That one seemed the greatest departure from way movie stories work. But what I but. The fact that you pulled all of those elements out of the movie, <laughs> that just excites me because my whole career has been pulling elements out of movie and say movies and saying, look at this movie. Look at how this movie took these elements and said this. How can you tell your story with 100%. different elements but have certain qualities? And, uh, you know, there's the, there's the compliment, you know, there's a, a character I call the reflection. That's the character who's there to support the hero and help them. And uh, so it seems like uh, uh, you know it might have been um, the egg white because the egg white was needed because yes. they decided to introduce what would be much lower the nemesis of the character, I would guess. I mean, you... you would 100%. Be, no, would, 100%. The nemesis is more the olive oil. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, I mean, because if you, if you said, we've made a new coffee drink and, and we ha- it has some egg white in it, somebody might say, oh, weird, but okay, I'll try it. But the olive oil, it's just like, no, no, your worlds okay. are colliding here, <laughs> worlds are colliding. So if you, if you, and then, and then the other characters are going to align themselves with one, you know, with the, going to create conflict or help the hero through it and so on. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I am so, I have so much I want to talk to you about that. Uh, like the first thing I'll say is, have you seen the oleatos that Starbucks has rolled out? No, I don't know what it so is. So Starbucks now, Starbucks is now doing olive oil coffee. Oh, and okay. this is you know like nationally, and I'm like, y'all, I beat you to that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> three years ago I was doing this. Jeez, okay. uh, maybe maybe, I they, maybe they heard about it through you. I know, right? Uh, so I. I think it's so, so interesting that you point out the thing about the coffee and me saying that the olive oil is the hero instead of the coffee being the hero. And and in a lot of ways, Michael, I feel like that's kind of the thing that's distinguished our brand, you know, in in the coffee space in general. Um, it is the decided upon prerogative that the hero is always the coffee, 
And mm-hmm. for me, I came from a background that I was only in specialty coffee for about five months before I started Discourse. And so for me, the, the coffee is a vehicle of our storytelling and the coffee is what people are coming to us for. They want that caffeination um, and they want okay. a delicious coffee. But for me as a storyteller, it is far more interesting to focus on the ingredients as the heroes and, and use coffee as a supporting character to, to bolster that experience into what people expect from a coffee shop. Yeah. So for me, it's way more exciting to try to tell the story of the olive oil and, and really highlight that story of the olive oil than it is for me to tell the story of the coffee. And when we tell the stories of the coffees that we serve, um, we absolutely, absolutely do that, right? And we have this focus on who is the roaster? You know, who, who is the uh, importer? Who is the miller? You know, what has every step been that this coffee has gone through? But when we make drinks, it's like, okay, what is the ingredient that we want to celebrate? And how do we celebrate that ingredient to its degree? And I think that's really helped set us apart from a lot of our competitors who are purely focused on the coffee all the time. Because what that has done for them is it's actually distracted them from the ability to create layered and complex mm-hmm. profiles that's yeah. just beyond the coffee. Okay. Um, and so, so I, like, I'm sorry, I hate to interrupt. But what, no, please. What, what's to me you're talking about is you're, you would, I would say you're either making the coffee the setting of the story because, oh. because that's, that's going to be it, or you're making it the genre because every yes. genre of story has a certain, you know, a certain consistent qualities. But if you think of this, so, so, and, and, when they were making the godfather the movie or or when puzo was actually writing but the thing that really turned him around about making the movie and so on is said maybe you know this because there's a great book called uh leave the gun take the cannoli have you seen that book? no oh god you got to get this book because you know okay other well it's called lee it's the line that um i think it's clemenza says after yes nice the uh, Ice, uh, uh, the Talia Shires, you know, I'm not good with character names. After yes. they executed her husband for beating her up and and, and betraying yes. family. And so they're on this <laughs> side, you know, they're going to leave the body in this whatever. And, and they've shot him with a gun. And, and the, to, to the guy, well, you know, they decide to get some cannoli on the way, just so they won't be <laughs> suspicious. And then as they're... As they're and he says, leave the gun, take the cannoli. And it's just a class. So that's the title of the book. And it's a deep dive into all that went into the making of the movie. Wow. I've not read this book yet. Okay. I cannot wait. And I... one of the, that movie was destined in so many ways to be terrible. Starting with like casting. I, maybe you know this, but, but uh, Warners, they had two people in mind to play um, uh, Don Corleone that they thought would be good. It was um, Robert Redford or Ryan O'Neill. I don't even know if you guys know who Ryan O'Neill is. Cause no. Oh, God. Okay, well, he was a star. He was the star of Barry Lyndon that Kubrick made, and he became, it was, he was, it was like if you said, who who does not look like an attacker? He's, he's this, you know, it's like Robert Redford Exponential, you know, sweet face, you know, blonde, real blonde hair, and so on. And so when they went to whoever, I guess it was Robert Evans, who was, uh, you know, head of the studio, whatever he was, 
And they said, and they wanted to make the book. The book was huge. It was just a beyond bestseller. And they said, says nobody wants gangster movies because gangster movies were not unusual. They've been making them. And and the guy said, the reason gangster movies are no good is they're all made by Jews. <laughs> which, which made total sense. He said, you need an Italian. You know, you need Italian. And this movie is all about family and it's got to be that. And that's why they thought of Coppola. Or, and, really? Um, yeah. And so, so um, if if, if the, the hook, the thing they decided, or Coppola and them decided was, okay, this is got this is not about crime. It's about family. It's about the tightness of the family and what will you do to you know to support your family. So the setting of the realistic setting of not what do we think the mafia is like. It was they, yes. they decided they weren't allowed they chose not to do it or they wouldn't have gotten the union, you know, the teamsters to cooperate and so on. Anyway, you gotta get the book. But if you think of the coffee as the setting, then yes. it then that defines what this is going to be. But they took a setting that had been done doesn't well going all the way back to Scarface and the, the first Scarface and so on. Yep. And they took this setting and said, yeah. we're going to take this setting and we're going to do something completely different with it. That's actually that complements it way more than the traditional yes. thing because everybody was getting tired of the coffee, so to speak, you know? Yes, a hundred percent. I know, I know poor Brandon, he's, he's, he's had some things he wanted to ask here. Oh no, I've been just enjoying ourselves. I no, no, this, so no, this has been I so have much question. fun. Yeah, no, I have a go question for... I got to ask if I can, but um, yeah, no, I, can, I, I, can I synthesize one thing and then you can ask your yes. question, Ryan? Because I just wanted to share knowing both of your work and then hearing you guys talk some things that showed up for me. And then whether you guys want to talk about that or not, or is completely up to you. But I'm saying this for just something that was revolutionary for me. It's like, Michael, as I've worked with you and as if you helped me for stories, you've always been such a you, you even said, I think uh, this is your own words, like you're a stickler for the visible finish line. Like that is the one thing that you are always hammering home on. Like what is the yeah. what is the visible finish line that is guiding the narrative of this story? And so I know that's a central component of, of your work, Michael, but that for you, Ryan, your visible finish line is what is, you know, because your visible finish line in my mind in many ways was what would the Don drink if he showed up at discourse. And that was like your kind of finish line that you were trying to create the emotional experience of what the Don would be drinking. And so yep. using that visible finish line in both of your respective worlds, you leverage that to guide your decision-making on the characters or all the different things that the story shares. So that was like one thing. And then the other thing I'll say really quickly is the other thing about you, Ryan, the way that you tell stories, it's not only the story of the drink, but the other meta story is the stories of how you created the drink to begin with, right? Because even the story of thinking about how you shook up smoke inside of a thingy and then mixed the everybody i think that's part of why people want to hear you ryan and why it was so special to see you in the shop and that kind of stuff is because you're so passionate about all the shit that had to happen for you to figure out how to infuse olive oil with egg whites and make that a, a prominent feature of your drink so in many ways yes. you ryan you're telling stories on two layers you're telling the story of the drink itself but you're telling the story of creating the drink and both those things together is what makes the discourse experience interesting so now i'll shut up you can ask your question right about just interesting interesting yeah, insight that for was me. cool yeah <laughs> i totally big. agree man i think process is a huge part of what's made us successful people are just fascinated by the process because it's something that they do not think of 
in the coffee space. You know, and I don't know if this is something that you've seen in Yoko and Michael, but I think it's fascinating because for us, so many of the things that we do, and then I'll ask the question I had because I'm fascinated about your answer, but so many of the things that we do in our world, coffee, um, are not inherently revolutionary techniques. Really what we're doing is we're borrowing from different worlds, right? So we're borrowing from mixology, we're borrowing from cuisine, and we're putting those things into the coffee space. You know, so if I was to go to a cocktail bar, a really high-end cocktail bar, and talk to the bartender and say, hey, um, I want to put olive oil in my drink. It's a fat, it's an oil. How do I get that to bind with a liquid? Oh, well, you would need a protein net. We'd probably use egg white or aquafaba. Right? Like in, in a cocktail bar, this isn't crazy. Like, like this is something that people understand and have done for probably 20 or 30 years. But when you take it out of that context of the cocktail bar and you put it into the context of the coffee shop, now suddenly this is like, what the fuck? Like you just use olive oil and coffee and egg white and you know, and and it's, it is, it is not inherently revolutionary technically, but it's, it's putting things into a new context. And like you said, a new setting. And I think that's what's so interesting about viewing coffee as the setting is it's, you know, we're taking these ideologies and these techniques and these heroes from, or really these mirrors, I would say these reflections from, from cooking and from, cocktails and we're bringing them into this new setting of coffee and in this new setting they feel different they feel new they feel um innovative and 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 kind of revolutionary and and i think that that is so interesting to think about how by changing the setting of the story um we're completely changing the way that people perceive these things uh and and so that that to me is one thing that i think is really fascinating about kind of what you were saying the other thing that I, I have a question for you in your career and your experience is, you know, what you said about power and, and uh, the power of this drink and how it stands as part from the other items on the menu. You're totally right. And candidly, I never thought about that. It was like a very like service level thing for me of, of like, okay, well, it would be olive oil and it would be smoke and it would be powerful because Don is powerful. But but I wasn't thinking of it like, oh, this drink is going to be the powerful drink because the underlying ethos of this movie is power. And, and I think that's kind of like the superpower that I see in you is like this ability to very quickly dive into what is the underlying ethos of the story? Like what is the underlying emotional through current that actually makes this like binding right beyond the story beyond the aesthetics of the story like what is the undercurrent that's running through these characters hearts and minds that makes it compelling and a level that may be more subconscious and so like my question is in your in your experience in your career if somebody comes to you and they say like hey this is the like surface level of the story. And I feel like that's what I kind of did. I was like, hey, this is, these are the surface level elements of this story. And then you came in right incisively and you were like, oh yeah, but really underneath all this surface level stuff, it, it's, it's a power game, you know? And that's, I think is so true. How often have you seen, you know, storytellers who, who tell a surface level story and from that surface level story, you are very quickly able to say, oh, but what you're really talking about is this. And, and that storyteller then sits back and says like, oh my God, that actually is the core of this story. Like, is, is, that, a, is that a common occurrence for you? Do you see the ability to take these service level stories and, and boil out the, the most beautiful core fragment of that that makes it emotionally compatible to viewers? Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, I mean, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, when you say often, uh, it, it depends. If I'm 
On a certain level, it happens almost all the time. But here's why. It's uh, and it, you'll have you'll have to think about it, Brandon, because going back to your story about the cafeteria. The, the no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, Michael. At all the times I've worked with you, that's yes, that's what's been happening. Is that you've been just saying, no, 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 it wasn't about this. It's about it's really about this. Or you, 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 you take a vision for something that's not clear for someone trying to describe so much, and you say, no, this is the one thing that you actually need to focus on. So yeah, I yeah. would agree with that. Yeah, that's what and, you do. and part of the reason that happens is, I mean, I, I can do it. Just it's like any, you know, do something long enough, you get pretty good at it. <laughs> what it means is uh, that when when Brandon, for instance, or when they're telling, even if it's a fictional story, Brandon was doing it for business, so it wasn't. But even a fictional story, what they aren't getting is where are they in the story? Or if it's a true right. story, they're missing some of the truth of what was really going on in the moment. And that's because I, I there's a whole element of what I talk about and so on that has to do with this transformation. We tend to hide the truth about ourselves in many ways because we're afraid of looking at, it's not necessarily that it's dark, but our fears will cover up things that are going on. And yeah. so we tend to look at our own experiences in not necessarily superficial, but at one level. And what I would say is, because it doesn't happen often, but it's happened, I would say, frequently. And that is, I'll say, no, that's not what your story is about. What I say to you is it's about power, because one of the core things when I talk about the inner journey, what that inner journey for a character is, it's really a journey from fear to courage. It's interesting because for Michael Corleone, somebody else pointed this out to me, his transformation, because it's a tragedy, is really he goes from courage to fear. He's so afraid oh, yeah. that, he's high, that he's sacrificed everything because he's attached to this identity, I call it, this false self that he is all about power and control. Yeah. The guys are doing something good, which is protect his family. Okay. Right. But at any rate, uh, what I mean generally by the transformation, the inner journey, I call it, is it's the transformation from living in fear and protecting ourselves from that fear by creating a false identity or what Jung called a persona. So what we present to the world is going to hide the things about ourselves that we don't really want the world to see because we all we all believe in one way or another many ways sometimes that we're bad or that we're we're not good enough or that we're right. we're too something that we were taught growing up or as adolescents or with tragedy or something like that you're not good enough you know you're not smart enough or you're too selfish or you're not you know or you're too selfless or whatever it was and so we don't want the world to see that and so part of what I like to be able to do, and you got to do it kind of carefully because I can't just say, you know, well, oh, Brandon, nice to meet you. I heard your 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 story and you're terrified of this. You know, we don't want to face those things or recognize it. But what I'll do is say, well, what was going on here? What was going on there? And so on. So yeah, uh, that's that's the joy of doing it really. 
because then you get those moments. It, it, well, you must have the same joy because when you make this thing, you're not done. You know, 100%. you did your job, but but you 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 don't you haven't gotten to the climax. The climax. Well, is that's where it begins. Yes, exactly. And if somebody uh, drinks it, and if somebody drinks it, and they say, "Wow," you know, not it's not wow that tastes really good. I'm sure you hear that, and that's nice to hear. But wow, I never believed I could have that experience. I could never yes. believe that could yes. be, end up being the truth of what you just yes. said. It sounds yes. like crazy, or it's sound, or or whatever it is. So. I don't know if that exactly answered your question, but that's it does. That's sort of what I live for. That's that's probably why really? I get excused. I I get accused a lot of times of being a therapist because it's like <laughs> like because but it's still all about the story. But the story for the storyteller is a vehicle to go deeper into themselves. And yes, that it doesn't matter if you're a screenwriter. It's the same thing as if you're a, an entrepreneur. Because if you're willing to do that, the story will be better, and so will your connection with the people that you're trying to serve with your hey. with your talent, with your own yes. Story. Okay, so, Brian, so did you want to? No, I, I'm I'm dying to ask something because, like, I think this yes. would be probably the, like the coolest question I could ever ask. But I want to ask: Do you guys both have a hard cutoff in ten minutes? Otherwise, it, it wouldn't really do it justice. Oh, or... I extended, so I got I got twenty minutes. Yeah. Okay. Are you and, good for a little bit? So, yeah, so here's, yeah. here's I, I, I have no job. I just my hard stop is five o'clock because I went to University of Oregon. The quarterback <laughs> Chargers used to be a star quarterback at Oregon. The Charger game is at five p.m. my time zone, so okay. we got to stop by. We got to stop by. I think that's probably seven p.m. your time. Well, <laughs> we're both in central heard? yeah okay right so what's Ryan, the best question so, so, oh, so here i am I, I like i don't want to overplay this because i'm really excited what i want here's my vision for this is i want michael to tell a story and i want ryan to translate that story into a drink so i, I whatever what that like so i don't know if michael you're working on a story if like a story that you're really passionate about or a story that you've told in the in the past and so Ryan can experience you kind of like talking about some stuff, but then Ryan can take the elements of that and say, this is how I would convey this in, in a liquid format. I just think that would be ridiculously fun. <laughs> okay. Well, the uh, first one, first of all, I'm, I coach people on stories. I don't, I don't tell nearly as many stories as you do, Ryan. I mean, you're telling stories with each new drink and I, I, I listen to stories and then I coach and so on. So I, the one that comes to mind is I should tell my signature story that you've heard at least once, and that's yeah. how I first met Will Smith. Okay. Now it takes you. You've got well. Let's see. You've got twenty minutes. I, I try not to make it long, but I'll tell it the way I do on stage because uh, this is this is it. But it's the. I'm excited. Best. I, I'll get, give it, give you my best, and that is so. This goes back to. Uh, the year, let's see, it's uh, 2012, I think it is. Yeah, 2012. Okay. And on this particular day, it was like February. It was late in the evening. I'm sitting in this very office that I'm in right now. And uh, uh, I was doing something that I tend to do all the time as part of my career and that I was just staring out the window. 
And, you know, and so, uh, you know, I'm staring out. But this particular time, I was like feeling sorry for myself. And I think you can tell that I've been blessed with a career that I just love. I love doing what I do. I got I went, I got to be in the movie business like I broke into still working in the film business. And at that point, I'd been doing it for some time and my career was going well and I was making money and so on. But I was thinking about the inner circle. And the inner circle is it's in any arena I've ever encountered, any professional group or or uh, social group, whatever, there's always an inner circle. And that's that group of people, that sort of rarefied group that had reached the pinnacle of their work. So, so like if you took podcasters, there's probably an inner circle of podcasters that they're cracker jack. <laughs> I don't know about baristas or coffee and so on, but absolutely, those people, absolutely, you would know their name, you know. And if there's a world capital of the inner circle, it's Hollywood. The whole industry works on that, and there's always that top level. You know, it used to be that it was Spielberg and it was Tom Hanks or it was Scorsese, and it is, but there's always those people, and they all seem to know each other and hang out. And I've been around and I was feeling sorry because I thought, you know, I've done well and so on, but I've never really been in the inner circle before. <laughs> and so I'm sort of pouty, you know, and, and the phone rings. And so I push the button and says, hi, it's Michael Haig. And the voice on the other end says, hi, my name's Tracy. I work with Will Smith. And I take her off speaker and said, Will Smith, Will Smith. She said, yeah, that's the one. She said, Will's making a movie called I Am Legend up in, in Toronto. They've, they're already shooting, but they're not completely happy with some elements of the story. Will wants to know if you'd be able to read the script and then give him your opinion on how it might be improved. So I pause five seconds for dignity, and then I say, yeah, I think we can find the time. <laughs> And so she said, okay, well, we'll send you the script. We'll email you the script. And then, and then, um, uh, well, we'll meet with you. You'll have a phone call and you can tell him what you want, want to say. And she, I said, okay, that, that's great. But I've got to ask you, how did Will Smith even know who I am? You know, and she said, well, I know he's had your book, your, your screenwriting book for a long time. But I think it was because he saw this video you did called The Heroes Two Journeys. And he loved that, especially the part where you talk about the character's identity and essence and how in a good love story, two people connect at the level of essence. I thought, cool, that's neat. Well, so she sends the script and I read it. I read it again and I take my notes and the, the meeting is set for like, I think it was a Friday evening, you know, when he was done shooting. And so the meeting was set for like 6 p.m. And I made that horrible mistake that you never should make when you have an important meeting. And that is I was early because I didn't want to so I get there about, you know, about 530. I'm sitting here with nothing to do, you know, just getting nervous, you know. But I figured, well, I had the script and I had my notes and I had my Xanax. So I figured I'll, I'll be OK. So then finally, phone ring, you know, phone rings and. I answer, it isn't Will, because Will doesn't make phone calls. He has people to do that. So it's, it's Tracy saying, well, I got Will for you. So Will gets on the call, and he's very nice. Will is a great guy. He's personable and fun, and he was nice and, you know, very gracious and so on. 
And uh, he said, hi, good to meet you. And then I said, look, I know you want to talk about the script, but you got to let me do the fan thing for a minute. Okay. <laughs> and he knew what I meant. So I said, he said, okay. And I said, I want to tell you that I consider Hitch, not only is it one of my favorite movies, I consider it just a classic romantic comedy. In fact, I said, I have lectured all over the place about the movie Hitch and the way that it exemplifies all the critical elements of a well-written romantic comedy. And he says, well, I should probably tell you that the whole time we were developing the script for Hitch, we kept asking ourselves, now, are we doing what Michael Haig said we should do? And have we connected at the level of this? Wow, <laughs> and thought, dude. I'm in a circle. And, that is and so sick. After that, well, you know, and then the, the epilogue was, the aftermath was, he asked me to consult with him on his next movie. And then just before they were about to start making Karate Kid, he put me on retainer, his company did. And so I, I worked with him all the way up through, I think the last script I worked with him on was uh, a horrible movie called The Suicide Squad. But everything, in, not everything, but almost every movie in between, plus I worked for the film. So that's the story. That's amazing. I am like, oh man, I have so many questions. Um, but I, I need to, I need to rise to the occasion here of, of translating that into a drink. So I'll do that before I lose my train of thought, and then I'll ask some questions. Oh, okay, um, sure. Two journeys. Okay, so I think that that to me is like the name of this drink, obviously, because you know oh. you have you have the two journeys of the hero, but you also have the two journeys of your journey and Will Smith's journey. And those journeys coming together is what created right. this this beauty, right? Like it's what created results. It's what created um, this new world for both of you. And I think the other concept that I that you talked about that I think is really interesting is the inner circle and the outer circle. And so what happened really in this in this story to me is you as somebody who felt like a member of the outer circle was bought into what seemed to be the inner circle, and it, you being in the inner circle is actually what created. The magic, but it's Iron Legend and all all the mu movies that followed it, and so that outer circle coming into the inner circle was actually what created the beauty. Um, and uh -huh. so for me, if I was to create this as the drink, what I would probably do is I would have a drink that was almost amazing, almost balanced in the center, and then I would have another dish or another bowl surrounding that drink. So it'd literally be an inner circle that had the drink almost finished, and then the outer circle. Um, that had an ingredient in it. And maybe that ingredient is bitterness, maybe that ingredient is citrus, maybe that ingredient is salt. And the drinker would actually take the outer ingredient, they would use a micro pet or a swings that we would set for them at, you know, five milliliters. And they would take it and they would suck up the liquid from that outer circle and they would put it in to the main shank. And that introduction of the outer circle into the inner circle is what would complete that drink and what would make it balanced and round and full and delicious. Uh, and, and what those flavors would be, you know, I think of knowing of what I know about you already, I don't know Will Smith personally at all, um, but knowing, knowing what I know about you already, you know, I would want those flavors to be boisterous and jovial and honest and uh, to really convey a palate that is not contrived and is not overly complex, but that is simple and true to form and true to narrative and that hits 
right to the home of what those ingredients are supposed to be saying. So I think the, the biggest way that I would do it is I would take this outer circle and I would take that ingredient and that ingredient would be the missing piece for what would balance that inner circle. And it would be those two journeys, the journey of the inner circle and the journey of the outer circle and how when they come together, now do you have a composition that's that's ready to be drank by the drinker. Wow. That, that like is so amazing. That's like bringing tears to my eyes. It's so cool. <laughs> and, and again, and, and there are things you touched on that you didn't know, as I'll point out. One was, I don't think in that story I ever used the word what is true, right? And, but you just said two times. You said, and, and what is truly this and truly that. And so, just a second, just to get this right, I asked when I, when I, um, my, uh, the new edition of my book came out and everything since, I asked Will if he would give me a testimonial to put on the back cover of the book. Yes. And here's what his testimonial says. And I've used this, uh, um, it's, uh, wait just a sec, no, didn't, didn't have the whole thing. His, uh, it says, his testimonial says, no one is better than Michael Hayden at finding what is most authentic in every moment of a story. And the whole the whole thing was, you know, it's about getting at the truth. So, yes. so that's it. And the other thing that's cool about this, because the story is about the outer circle and the inner circle and we get in and so on. But that imagery is also great for when you think about the transformation from identity to essence. Because yes. what happens is there are things that are not, there are things that are sort of part of you. They're part of the drink, but they're sort of being pushed away, denied, suppressed. And when you can acknowledge those, embrace those, and make that part of, of you, you know, uh, not stop hiding them, and, and or what I call let go of your identity and live in your essence, that's when you achieve fulfillment. So it's yes. about this separation between that you're incomplete. You know, you're incomplete. You have the quality, or, or sometimes you see it as something negative, but you're hiding it. That's the problem. But if you can own it and allow it and just embrace it and reveal it, then you're in your essence, which which yes. I refer to as, I have a good friend and she's he's a th therapist. He says, well, what you're calling your essence is just what I call your truth. And so the imagery is sort of doing double duty. I never thought about it as inner circle and outer circle, but it's like within you, you have kind of an inner circle and an outer circle. Yeah, you need to embrace the outer circle stuff and allow it to be a part of you. And yes. then you can let go of all the fear and then it becomes a part of you that oftentimes will end. So that, that, that the was magic amazing. Wasn't that cool, Brandon? Isn't that isn't That was, I am like a kid in a candy shop right now. That was like the coolest thing that, I mean, that was so cool. I, that, I'm just grinning from ear to ear, just seeing both sides of that and how that both came together. So I, yeah, my new goal is to figure out how to get Michael Hag to come and fly out to discourse to experience the inner circle Heroes Two Journeys drink. So <laughs> that we seriously, my new goal is to make it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, we we trust you. You'll you'll do fine. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll just embrace your truth, and it'll be great. Yeah, uh, God, this has just been amazingly fun. Now, oh, you said you had a 
Didn't you have a question? I don't remember. I think you said, Ryan, did you have yeah. a question or you asked it already? Yeah, I'm like, so part of what I'm always fascinated about in, in telling stories is the role of the consumer of the story right so like in in your in your field it's the role of the viewer in in my field it's the role of the drinker and part of what i kind of come to terms with often is in our field and and what i try to do and you are 100 percent right when you said like oh it's great if somebody tells you it's tasty but that's not the goal and that's 100 percent right it's like anybody can make tasty drinks like if i put vanilla in a cup that's tasty you know but like what is interesting what is shocking what makes you step back and say oh i didn't think that good work and it did right and and so what i what i've found in my career is this constant grappling and relationship between what it is challenging and what is relatable and and for for me i've i've come to this kind of a not i don't know if it's a crossroads but it's this this understanding that for us the goal is always to bring things to that edge of comfort and discomfort where there is an element of that drink that is throwing them over that edge and saying like oh i don't i don't know how i feel about that like i can't relate to that that's that's very strange for me but then there's enough in it that they can relate to that they feel comfortable experiencing it and trying it and so for me i would say as as a storyteller like how important do you view like the ability of the viewer to relate to the story you know and and in an instance like the godfather right it's like most people aren't going to be able to relate to being a mob boss but they can relate to loving their family you know and and how much of it is about this creation of um stretch you know, because in our, in our field, in our world, what we try to do is we try to expand and stretch the conversation around what coffee can be, which is why we call it the shop discourse to begin with. It, it's about stretching that narrative and seeing how far can this pull out um, to really express a new idiom of, of what we can do in coffee. So like the question, I guess, is when you're constructing a story how important is it for you to have a viewership that can relate earnestly to that story and see themselves within it and how important is it to you to present new and fantastical visions of a world that is something that they cannot or have not related to well that last question can't be answered because uh i i don't you first of all you can't how important is it there's i don't know how to grade it in that way it's like it's like those boring sports interviews where they say what does it mean to you to just win this tournament it's like <laughs> what do you think it means it means i'm happy and i'm scared and i don't know what's going to happen it's the dumbest question ever you what you're saying is at the very core of why you're doing what you're doing so it's essential right. it's not important it's just essential but right why well, we didn't really say that, but I, I guess what I want to ask you in response is you say what you do is you want to take it to the end, you know, to the very edge. Forget what I just said. In a nutshell, why do you do what you do? Why do you do I do what I, I mean? I think that's you're a, great a smart question. guy. You're a brilliant guy. You could be doing a dozen other things. What is it that means so much to you? What's the big high for you? When you do all these things, think of it, come up with the idea, da da da, give it to them. What? Why do you do it? 
at the end of the day for me, you know, and this is, it's been a roundabout journey for me. You know, I, I started my life as a hapa singer. I was a hapa singer most of my life um, until college. And then I studied opera in Italy. I, and I was going to guess that. Yeah. You seemed like someone who had been an <laughs> opera singer. I wasn't sure. It was either, it was opera singer or veterinarian. I couldn't tell which one. And I, so Maybe was, a little bit about oh, the opera singing okay. veterinarian. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. But I, I, yeah. I okay. when I was studying up in Italy, that's when I found love with coffee, and and really what I came to realize was that the through line of my life, you know, all of these narratives that felt very disjointed, um, was story. Whether it was through um, opera or through forensics or through theater or through drink faking, right? the thing that always got me in was story. And so for me, when I fell in love with coffee. It was this question of, can I tell stories through coffee? Like, this is the thing I love. And the idea of being able to tell a story that somebody could consume, that somebody could actually experience in a way that is extremely visceral, that is physical and emotional, and that takes place in a physical space. Like, that to me was so powerful. And as I got deeper into the world of hospitality, I started to realize that there was so much more to the story than just the drink. And and that evolving and infinite story is what has kept me in this for almost a decade now. You know, so there's this idea that when you step into a restaurant, when you step into a bar, when you step into a coffee shop, the best, the best ones, every single piece of that experience is part of a story of who that place is, of who that chef is, of who that bartender is, of who that general manager is. And it comes down to everything. It comes down to the fabric on the seats. It comes down to the way that the dishes are presented. It comes down to the lighting, the music. Are there plants? Are there not? Right? Like all of this, before even a glass hits the table, is telling you the story of the space. It's telling you the story of the owner. It's telling you the story of the drink maker and the way they want you to feel. And so uh, for me, it's become this incredible, incredibly powerful thing because the stories that we tell with discourse are are not just about what's in the cup but, but how do you feel and so the reason that we do what we do and the reason that we try to stretch and the reason that that's so important and so impactful for me is i believe that the story of coffee has been extremely limiting um by a very tight way of viewing what is acceptable and viewing what is right you know when we first started seven years ago I had a bunch of people, Michael, who would come up to me and be like, dude, what the hell are you doing? You're taking yeah. <laughs> beautiful coffees, you're messing them up, you're putting bitters and sugar and what the heck, you know? And and for me, it was very much this idea of, but but why not, right? Like, why not expand upon this? And, and in seeing over the last five years, the baristas that have come to work for us and, and to see them now empowered to tell their stories through coffee and, and, and to relay their visions and their hopes and their dreams and their experiences. It's, to me, what we are trying to do is to create a world in which baristas and drink makers at large feel comfortable telling their own stories through drink. And, right. and that is a medium which I think is incredibly valuable and incredibly underutilized and incredibly underpracticed. And and we've dedicated a lot of our time over the last five years and, and myself too, you know, of why we do what we do to this idea of, hey, 
people who are making coffee in the drink making space. Like, yes, it is important to make sure that you are telling the story of the coffee. But even more so, it is important to know that you are a unique and valuable person who has stories that I simply cannot tell. Right. And, and, and that's the thing that I tell all of my drink makers as soon as they start working with us. It's like, I am not here to give you stories. I am here to give you a tool belt. And that tool belt is going to help you tell your own stories because I can't tell those stories because they're not my stories. Right. And, and if another one of my drink makers was sitting here and interpreted your story, I hope that they would interpret it completely differently because that's the point. You know, the point is that we all have lived experience that we want to express. And if we can convey and convince and empower a new generation of people to feel like they can express themselves through a medium that was previously restricted to a very set uh, regiment of techniques, um, then that is a mission that is worth living. You know, so for me, and it is telling my stories, but even more so, I do what I do to hopefully inspire other baristas and other drink makers to feel like they can tell their stories and that their stories are equally as valuable to, to mine or to any of my drink makers. And, and if we can do that on a grand scale, um, then th that's why I do what I do and that's why I've done what I do and, and, and trying to get to that point where the industry at large feels empowered to be able to use these mechanics to tell their own stories, I think is, is it for me. Yeah, that was, that was an amazing answer. It was just a cool answer. And here's what I would say in response that I, I honestly don't remember exactly what your question was at the beginning because you sent me off in, a, in this direction. But to me, the number one value of telling stories, and I think I, I think you're I think you will agree with this, and I think it weaves through opera. What you're doing is the storytelling. What you're doing is in creating the coffee, and that is. Number one goal of storytelling is to create connection. Yes. And that's, and once you realize that, that's it. What you are struggling with, what you always want to do is how can you connect with your, I'll say audience, your, your, your patrons or the people who are drinking yes. your drinks. Okay. Yes. But I'll just say audience because it's sort of universal it is how can you connect with them? And so you're using the story to do it. And the beauty of what you're doing then, it's what you say, yeah, you have your own story to share. But to me, there's another aspect to it, too. And that is, if you can get me or any anybody or any yo-yo walks in the door or anybody else <laughs> to stop and think, I already know what coffee is. I know what coffee's like. And I know what olive oil's like. And I know what maybe egg whites are. I never quite understood bitters. <laughs> Whatever it is, I know we can talk about that like. next time. <laughs> and then you have them taste this new drink, and it blows their mind. Maybe if they at least subconsciously realize, maybe there was more to experience around those ingredients yes. than I believed then maybe they could realize that there's more to people they encounter or situations they're in than what they're aware of. And that's how they can go out and, and create connection. That will help them be feel a greater connection to other people. And I say that what, the way when I'm talking about movies or when I'm talking about stories, rather, business or whatever, and I talk about the inner journey going from fear to courage, 
I said yes. the value of that is if if you tell a story where your audience is empathizing with identifying with the hero of that story, where we become Will Hunting and Good Will Hunting, we become Michael Corleone or or Don Corleone, if you want to look at it that way or whatever it is. If we become that character subconsciously, and in the course of that movie, that character finds the courage to transform, we take on that courage and it makes us a little bit more courageous on our own yes. in our own lives. The whole idea is like that. It's no, it's no more about going home and making coffee than it is about going home and making a movie or whatever. 100%. It's about going home and, and letting that emotional experience of transformation and courage and success and whatever else it be spill over into your real life and maybe not being quite so afraid of doing that. And underneath what you're doing seems specifically designed to say it's and 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 what you said about walking in the place, you said you walk into the coffee shop, you didn't use that term, but whatever it is, and you know yeah. it, it, everything is a reflection of who that barista is or who that maker yes. is hero is. But who pays attention to all that? Well, but you do. And so if you're conveying that idea, it's like maybe there's a little more going on here than yes. you have told yourself every single morning when you go to the go stop in Starbucks and get your regular coffee. So yes. I don't know if that even came close to what you were asking, but that it was it did. For, yeah, because that you, thing it, that you were it, saying is You've got to relish that, and you've got to you've got to have the courage to think they're not all going to work. You know, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure you. You know, you may have put. You know, tried to combine olive oil and bitters, and nobody wanted. We got stories well, about that too. I learned something. You know, that's that's that's. Otherwise, then otherwise, you're playing it safe. But yeah, I think everything you're doing is about increasing the connection. But what you love is to do it through this vehicle of coffee. It's what, what you know, somebody, somebody said, you know, I forget who it was that said this. I've heard it more than once. They said, you know, if you ever talk to Russell Brunson, all he ever, everything he, he talks about has to do with funnels. And they said, and I, I was being introduced to speak at, at an event, I guess, where Russ, and he said, and if you ever talk to Michael Hay, all he cared, all he's going to talk about is movies. That's how he filters the world. And you sort of filter the world in a way through coffee or through your yeah. creations. But that that's cool. That's 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 what you in your inner circle, that's what makes it work for you. But underneath, it's just we're trying to battle loneliness. And our trying isolation. And if and oh, way, I'll just say, if you ever want an example of that, one of the most dedicated people about connecting, about creating connection, I know is Brandon. I mean, I that's I would almost one hundred percent connection is to you what coffee is to Ryan and and storytelling is to me. That's one hundred percent. That's your. That's your superpower. That's your raison d'etre, whatever you want to say. Yeah, I can tell I, I struck a chord. You I know, I'm, I'm about to cry right now because, like, I I had that, I was sitting in that because it's like, 
I just put you two together and like just watched magic happen by poking at a few questions. And like, that was like, I've been just, I feel so alive right now. Just like watching you guys just saying you, Michael, you do this. And then Ryan, you do this. <laughs> just sitting back and watching that happen. was so, so cool. So this has been so amazing. I, I, I just one, one thing that I realized, Michael, you did answer Ryan's question because Ryan's question was about the importance of taking the viewer into account when creating your story. And then yep. Michael, you talked about that. Your perspective is that you as the viewer or the experiencer subconsciously becomes the character of the story through that medium. So I don't know if that, but, but yeah, that was just, that was just a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh man. And, and, yeah. To create a more deeply connected world, right, Ben? Well, that, that was the other <laughs> thing I was going to say, Ryan, is because you texted me the other day about like, you're, I think you texted me, you're like, I've been doing some journaling and I think our purposes are like the same. And like, so that was kind of funny that you pulled that out, Michael, was because like, Ryan and I were just talking about this the other day where he was like, I really think at the end of the day, it's all about connection. And then you pulled that up, Michael. Oh, really? and then you, you circled oh, cool. back. No, it was, yeah. it was just crazy. That was really cool. It was really freaking cool. So I'm like oh, the saddest person in the world to have to like leave right now because this is so oh, no, amazing. No, it's but, fine. Yeah, this uh, is perfect. Michael, if you would ever love to like to talk again, I would love to talk to you again about story. I think this has been riveting from my perspective. I've learned a lot taking a lot of value from this. So thank you guys yeah, so like, much for this time. I think time. we've got to ask, Brandon needs to put us together. Oh, you know, for sure. Seriously. Let's both come and, of course, it'll have to be a very lengthy event because, you know, I'm a very reticent guy. I don't have much to say, but Ryan's awfully talky. I can... <laughs> <laughs> you guys are two of the most succinct humans that I know, for sure. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Great to meet you, Ryan. I look so forward good to, to meet you, you Michael. Again. We'll definitely do something. Thanks I for can't sharing. Wait. It was just special. Was just we'll see special. you, buddy. I agree. You too, Thank Brandon. you so much. Okay. Love you, Ryan. Bye. I appreciate you guys. You too. Love you too, Brandon. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that amazing conversation with Ryan and Michael. Wasn't that just epic? So much fun. So I was considering ending it right here, but there's more. So after Ryan had to go, Michael and I hung out for a little bit more after Ryan left. And like any time I've spent with Michael, he continued to drop more gold. So I wanted to include a chunk of the final conversation after Ryan left with just Michael and myself. And I share with Michael how fun the conversation was and what came alive for me in this conversation and how I'm thinking about turning this format into this thing I want to call brilliance blending, where I do exactly what I just did. So anyways, you'll hear about my original thoughts on that as soon as I finish the conversation with Michael and Ryan together. And then also I told Michael, I was like, man, I wished I had time to ask this one other question about how to increase emotion in a story. And then Michael was like, well, do you want me to answer it now? So that he went and answered this amazing story about from a Hollywood perspective, how he increases emotion in a story. So while Ryan couldn't be there to answer on his half, Michael's answer was so good. I didn't want to let that go to waste. So here's an additional, additional behind the scenes look into my conversation with Michael. <laughs> and that's the end of the surprise today. So I, I, I promise that is it for now, which um, there's going to be a lot more in the future if I continue doing this. So anyways, I appreciate you so much. Here is this final ending chunk of the conversation with Michael and myself. Oh, Michael, thank you for, thank you. That was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, that was, God, I'm so glad you showed me that little video. And then I, that I was, because I had no idea. I just thought, wait, what was that guy? Because I think what he had is he had 
a sprig of rosemary or something like that on the town. I don't know, but it was just like, uh, you know, everybody, everything else seemed consistent. And he seemed, no, what's he doing? That doesn't fit in with the rafting and all that. Yeah. So the idea, the idea was to bring Ryan in and he was, it was so crazy. That was so much fun designing that experience with him. But like the idea was that we would have an experience and then Ryan would create a drink that told the story of the experience that we had Ah. on, on the, on, on, in the event. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was so fun. I mean, as you know, with story is with anything like constraints are what creates magic in many senses. And so it was funny because we were trying to figure out how Ryan could work his magic with none of his tools. Cause like when he talks about emulsifying eggs and vaporizing, whatever the fuck he does, I don't know what he does. Like he obviously needs equipment for that kind of stuff. So like he, you know, we were trying to figure out how could we let him work his magic without having all the stuff. So it, it, he ended up creating this drink and it was just so funny because he, he FaceTimed my partner, John, right before the event and was like, let's go to a farmer's market and I'll just tell you what to buy. And Ryan was like FaceTiming him and saying, buy this, buy that, buy that. And then, um, and then he texted me, he's like, oh, so John's bringing all this stuff and also make sure you have a hammer. <laughs> I was like, it was, okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, I don't, you'd have to ask him, but like, there's this, there's like a, there's like a seed inside of a seed of a tangerine or something like that. So he was like, oh, wow. got these tanger- and he was like smashing the seed of the tangerine. And then he made like all these different syrups and, um, you know, we created this amazing drink and then he told the story and did a workshop around it. But it was, it was so cool watching him work. Cause like <laughs> he, he leverages his local surroundings and that's what he tells a story with. So I think I told you this last time, but he like, we went on a hike and he was like picking spruce tips from the spruce trees. And then he made like a spruce tip, simple syrup. And then we integrated that into uh-huh. a drink. I think the drink that we made up on the, uh, during the experience was we ended up calling it Petrichor, which do you know what, did you know what Petrichor is? I had to find out what that, what that is. No. So Petrichor is the smell after a rain. So that like smell that you had that like, there's a word for it. So like, so well, I, never he, knew. I know yeah, the I, smell. Didn't, I didn't know the word. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, so we created a drink called Petrichor in real time that used the, the spruce tip, simple syrup and green tea. And I don't know, Ryan could tell you about it way more than I could, but like, it, yeah. So it, it's been so cool watching Ryan. Cause it's literally like a magic trick. Cause like he did that with me. I could say the episode that we did together, but like, he said, you know, I, I told him like, let's like make up a drink on the fly. And he can do that with anything. Like you just give him something and he'll tell, he'll, he'll come, he'll pull something out of his ass. And it's like, I want to go drink that. So, <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah, that was really cool. So thank you. Thank you for being the catalyst to, to make this happen. That was so much fun. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, I, okay. I don't, you were really the catalyst by showing the video and, and being able to put it together the way exceeded what I ever would have expected. I was just curious, like, what is this? And that was, <laughs> It was amazing, and, and it's it's so fun, and it's like when you're talking about that, when you say how he put it together, when he put together that story, it's similar to the way I put stories together. Like for you, I don't, I didn't say, well, here's the story. I'd ask questions. I say, well, it we, it needs this ingredient, like an ingredient. Yeah. We need we need more empathy. Okay, we need yeah. more sympathy for you. It needs that ingredient. The way we'll do that is. No, and I I sort of remember the story a little bit, but you were just you were telling about some backstory. And I said no, you've got to be short of change when you got in line or whatever it was about the that's going to create more empathy if you put yeah. it this way. Same thing, and and I it makes me think that if you get 
almost any, maybe it's two creative people, but I don't know if it's limited to that, but two people are passionate about something and have gotten good at it. And you yeah. see how they go about it. There's probably a lot of commonality. Oh, a hundred percent. That's yeah. literally a note that I took is I think if you're okay with it, I'll talk with you and I'll talk with Ryan, but if you guys would be open, I'd love to publish this episode on the show, like, or like this recording on the show. Obviously, if you don't, if you don't want to, that's totally fine. But like, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think can there's, you, can, you, can you do CGI? Can you give me a decent haircut? <laughs> we don't need, we don't need to do the video. We can just do the audio. Oh, so that's you right. I, I yeah. that. I'm so used to doing Zoom. I forget it's just audio. Oh well, no. The, I'll, the video would probably be fun too. Cause he was so excited and we were laughing so much. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was it, thinking, yeah, you should, you should show this, you know? I know. I legit, I literally see. wrote this down. I wrote, wrote this down, Michael. Cause as you guys were doing this, it's like, you co-created slash invented a new format because it's like the first thing that came to my mind is like brilliance blending like it's literally it's like i know you're brilliant at this i know you're brilliant at this like you guys both do your thing and in real time i could do that with pretty much any subject like i've i've done 160 episodes on the show now like i could pretty much pick two experts in two different things like just this last week i introduced i had on um somebody the, the woman who set the world record for being the first woman to climb the second highest summits in every oh, yeah, country. You told me about her, I think yeah. I told you that. So it's like, I introduced her to Steve Sims, who is this, I mean, he's another amazing human, but they both, they're both all about doing big, crazy, impossible things that the world's going to laugh at you for trying to attempt. And they both make it happen. So it's like, that would be an insane conversation to just be on the fly on the wall and just ask. Cause all I, t I asked two questions for you guys really. And then like, that was pretty much it. Cause I even had another one that I think would be a conversation for another day. And it's what you touched at is the different ways that you and Ryan pull out emotion or increase emotion in a story. Cause I know that's like your primary thing. It's like your primary job is to learn how to elicit emotion, no matter what kind of story it is that you're telling. So I know that, you know, you have elements that you look for, but what are the ways that Ryan does that too in a drink to pull out that? So like, but, but I mean, there's so much that, well, I just I got, wanted you guys to I'm explore. Sorry, so, here, sure. But I can answer it for you right now. Well, no, yeah, is, go for it yeah, if you want. There's two main two main ways you, you make a story more emotional. There's probably a uh, not a movie because the movie has a dozen because there's music and acting and all that. But two main ways you a story from the stage. Let's say two ways that are create emotion. The number one way is create conflict, and the mm. second way is uh, um, uh, uh, be detailed. Be specific and detailed, you know, go into detail. Okay. So what is he, I mean, what he loves to do is he he loves to tell stories and make coffee, make drinks that people will start out saying, that doesn't sound right. He yeah, wants yeah. Conflict. He He's creating conflict. the conflict is what's going to make people resist it and be yeah. drawn to it. It's yeah. like, come on, can't do that. Just like, why do we go to horror movies or thrillers or even romantic comedies? Because there's going to be a lot of conflict. And yeah. detail is specificity. Like, yeah. and I probably, probably heard me say this, but, you know, the problem is the, the sin in telling stories, generalizing, summarizing. Yeah. You know, I I had this client and now they're rich. You know, that's, yep. that's you know, but, you know, don't like, I'm sure when I worked with you and you're going to line it, I'd be amazed if I didn't say no. Got to give us more detail on going. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Well, what is what is he doing? He's he's creating conflict, and then as he talks about, it, he goes into great detail. I mean, yeah. he didn't just. I mean, the beauty of him talking about that particular drink 
was not just, well, I did this and this. It's like, did this, and he was very detailed. So he got a bullet, and we filled it. And then when that, the smoke started doing this and this, yep. so you could picture it. So he's using the same exact tools in the way he builds the drink. Oh, my gosh. Well, about the drink. So I, I'm I mean, glad. sort of stepped on that, and you can – but. Uh, you know, if he was here, I I guarantee you he'd agree because that's yeah. No, the, the only difference is he may not have labeled it quite that way because he's he's telling it's you know because I I've just given labels to a lot of these things yeah. when I talk storytelling. But no, I hundred yeah, percent agree. Exactly what he's doing. Okay, that is it for now. I hope you enjoyed this absolutely incredible conversation with Michael Haig and Ryan Castellas. The last thing I will say is if you enjoyed listening to those two brilliant brains work together, if you want to listen to them separately and hear my one-on-one interviews that I've done with Ryan and Michael, it just occurred to me that those two, I'm not lying when I say they're some of my favorite humans, they've been on the show twice each. So I guess Ryan and Michael make up four total episodes of the show and now the fifth one of them together. But anyways, Michael was earlier on the show. He was episodes number 36 and number 37. 36 is where you will learn Michael Haig's in-depth storytelling framework and go into his story and all that other good stuff. And then in real time on that show, I asked Michael for feedback on a story I was working on at the time, which was you know, an old story I was working on that served me well. And I'm still, it was, it was just amazing uh, to have Michael coach me on that story in real time. And that is where in episode 37, you get to hear Michael coach me on that story. So those are 36 and 37 with Michael Haig. And then Ryan came on for episodes 134 and 135. And, um, if you couldn't tell already, Ryan is just super high energy. And when Ryan and I get in a room together, it is pretty, pretty fun because we just get super excited and amp each other up. So because that was so good, uh, we split that into two different episodes. And Ryan's episode was actually the first one we ever recorded in person because Ryan and I are both from Milwaukee. So Ryan came over to our place and Leah made us some amazing dinner while Ryan and I were talking about all things liquid storytelling and all that other good stuff. So Anyways, final thing to say, go check out episodes 36 and 37 if you want to listen to more of Michael Haig, and go check out episodes 134 and 135 if you want to listen to more of Brian Casalas. So that's it. I think that's it. I keep saying that's it, but now it's it. So anyways, I appreciate you. Hopefully you enjoyed this conversation. I love you so much, and we'll talk to you very soon. Well, that is officially a wrap on another episode of Beyond Curious. So depending on how long you've been listening to the show, you may or may not know this, but for the first about 140 guests on the show, I used to ask a really simple question at the end, and that was, what does happiness mean to you today? And for the longest time, what I wanted to do was dig back through all those answers and compile an episode where I put together all the best responses to that question back to back to back. And obviously that would take a lot of work and editing on my team's part, but I knew it would be good, and I wanted to use it for something special and I didn't know what I wanted to use it for. But now I finally figured out what I want to use it for. So I would love for you to get access to the episode. It is so good and you will hear perspectives on happiness from a Zen master, seventh degree black belt, a decorated air fighter pilot, and even the man who invented the cell phone in one of my favorite episodes that I've never released and will never release officially publicly on the podcast. And all I'm asking in, in return to get this episode is just a few minutes of your time to complete a short survey that will help me to improve Beyond Curious for you in 2024. 
2024 and beyond. And your feedback will help shape the future of the show. So I'm super excited for this. But all you need to do is head to bfo.ng slash survey in whatever browser you use. That's bfo.ng slash survey. Also have it linked up in the episode description. Fill out the survey. You'll immediately get access to this bonus episode and two other incredible bonuses that uh, will show up immediately after you finish filling out the survey. So whether you choose to do that or not, thank you so much for hanging out on today's episode and we'll see you soon.